Acts chapter 28 tonight, if you would please, Acts 28. And as you find your place there, I want to remind you also to pray for the church planning effort in Shawnee. And uh, Brother Rick McQueen is here tonight, of course, and um, his wife Grace and other, others who have been involved in that remodeling phase of the building that we're going to use and, and uh, beginning outreach. In fact, the young people, the teens go this Saturday and doing some canvassing and, and uh, work to try to get others to come. Uh, first, kind of the grand opening day would be October the 26th. So would you pray for that? We've decided on a name, the Shawnee Baptist Church. And so looking forward to that. Isn't that great? I think everybody in Shawnee ought to go to the Shawnee Baptist Church. Sure. It's great. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do there. So keep praying for it, would you please? All right, you're in Acts chapter 28. Acts 28, let's read the first 10 verses here together as we come now to the last chapter of the book of Acts. It's hard to believe that uh, here we are at that point. It says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. In other words, they were very kind to us. For they kindled a fire and received us every one. Because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> what a shift. Murderer to God. Wow. In the same quarters there were... Possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And the rest of the text goes on about their journey on to Rome. And so this is Sermon 56 in our series through the book of Acts, A Church for His Name. And tonight's title, Every Day Providence. Everyday providence. Every day gives us the opportunity to watch and see the providential hand of God at work in our lives. It most definitely was in Paul's life and truly believe that it is in ours as well. And so I'll trust that God will bless the message as you're seated. We'll get right into the message here tonight. Everyday providence. In chapter 27, we saw that Paul trusted the Lord through the storm, and God brought him through along with the 276 others, and how that in the midst of the storm, 
as Paul trusted God through that storm, that God used him as a spiritual leader. And he was a testimony to those in that secular world, to the sailors as well as to the soldiers who were on board. And it took a storm for them to listen. And it may take a storm for others to listen to your gospel witness, but be ready when they do. Paul was a godly witness, a godly testimony. Tonight I'm borrowing the title for the message from a recent um, Times article, the Global Baptist Times. You may have read the article. I hope you read the Times. We try to have enough copies and, and uh, so everyone could uh, gain one maybe per family and read those. Some really good articles for everyone in here, you know, that uh, just deal with the Christian life. And So Brother Dave Hardy just recently wrote an article called this, and I've heard him talk about it before. And he said, you know, if I ever were to write a book about something, I'd probably call it this, Everyday Sovereignty. And so this series of articles in the Global Baptist Times right now that he's writing is called Everyday Sovereignty. Every day gives us an occasion to see our sovereign God at work in large and small ways. So he started out the article and... Forgive me if you've read it, but just to kind of give us all an idea of what it's about. He started out the article talking about the founding, the providential hand of God at work, even at the time in which our nation was founded. And he began with the, the um, of course, the Declaration of Independence, but also the war for independence that followed. And he said this, outnumbered, outgunned, and facing great deprivation, the early Americans persevered through extreme hardships. But perseverance alone can hardly account for the outcome of this war. If you know anything about American history in that time period, then I believe you'd agree with that statement that persevere, they did. But perseverance alone could hardly account for the outcome of that war. He uh, pointed out in particular August the 28th, 1776, at Brooklyn Heights, Long Island, New York, how that the Continental Army was surrounded by the much and much superior British Army and, and had surrounded them, and really all they had to do to really end the war almost before it ever really got started was just to go ahead and tighten down on them. They had them exactly where they knew they had them surrounded and could have really done great damage there to this, this army. But rains, heavy rains came, and so the British Army decided to hold off on their attack until the next morning. General George Washington understood that he must get his troops out of there very quickly, so under the cover of darkness they escaped. But because of the, uh, the narrow passageway that they had and the difficulty crossing, which that's a whole other story we don't have time to go into tonight, but because of the situation as it was, they needed three more hours to cross. Daylight came. They needed three more hours. Major Ben Talmadge gives this report. He said, at this very time, a very dense fog began to rise. And it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. He said, I recollect... This peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. And so dense was this, the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. When the fog lifted, the British Army found that the Americans were gone. 
But just at the right time, there was a fog. You say, well, that was just totally a coincidence. I believe God had a purpose for providentially starting and preserving this country. Brother Hardy said this, that the idea of everyday sovereignty is to suggest that God is concerned not only about things like the founding of a nation, but also the daily lives of his children. Everyday sovereignty. Every son and daughter of God is invited to look for their father's involvement in their daily living and to be able to work with that sovereignty rather than against it. We may be ignorant of it, and to have a heart filled with gratitude for his work on our, on our behalf, it might be termed, he says this, it might be termed bottom shelf sovereignty. And then he mentions, this is really great, he says that, you know, you think about the, um, the owner's manual for your car, you ever bring that thing out, maybe you got to know how to reset the light that came on about, you know, your, whatever it is, it's time to get the oil changed or whatever and I never remember exactly what routine to go through, you know, and how you, what all you have to do to just get that light off. I've tried to pray it off, you know, but <laughs> anyways, but the owner's manual. Well, the owner's manual versus, Brother Terry, the service manual that you would use as a trained mechanic, the service manual or manuals, greatly different, immensely different. This the service manual that you have in the glove box of your car is the bottom shelf mechanics book. I don't need to even know what all is in there and how it works. All I need to know is that it goes. But there are those who do understand more complicated parts of the car and they have manuals on that. And so all of that makes it go. Listen, I don't understand and cannot tonight in any way even begin to explain the sovereignty of God and the providential workings of God. There would be countless manuals on that, one authoritative manual on it. But I don't even want to pretend to understand all of that, but I, I get this. He is sovereign and he does work providentially. And we can see that. Providence is this. The act of providing, and thus providence, you have uh, another definition, timely care, and thus God's timely care, he's the on-time God, his timely care in your life. Certainly is easy to see that God providentially worked in Paul's life. And in fact, here we are, I mean, we're at the very end of the study, and it's called the book of Acts. The acts of the apostles sometimes, which really may not be the best way to term that. It's more of the acts of God in the lives and through the apostles. It's really his acts and what he did. But it's easy to see how that God providentially preserved Paul's life. I mean, here we are at the end, towards the end of, his, of this journey. And God has providentially preserved his life through three missionary journeys. By using co-laborers, narrow escapes, strategically positioned people like his nephew. You remember that? Just a few chapters back, how that his nephew just was there at the right time to hear the plot against the life of Paul. Even Paul's Roman citizenship, Roman leaders, God providentially 
preserving Paul through the storm? I mean, it's easy to build a case to say God providentially preserved Paul's life for a purpose. So I want us to consider that tonight and see how that God has preserved your life. You're here. You're here. He's preserved you. If God preserved Paul's life for a purpose, is it safe to say that the reason he's preserved your life is for a purpose? His purpose. God uh, providentially cared for Paul and the others as they came after the shipwreck. They landed on an island called Melita. We also know it as Malta. It's about 58 miles south of Sicily and 180 miles north and east of Africa. It's a small island, about 18 miles long and 8 miles wide. In fact, our missionaries, Ray and Wanda Hoover, who are now in Ethiopia, served many years in Malta. And uh, seen, I believe it was, three church plants, if I'm not mistaken, there on the island of Malta. They're referred to here in our text as barbarians. The reason they're called barbarians is because they did not speak either Greek uh, or Latin at that time. And thus the barbarians, the word kind of has the idea of bar, 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 which means you can't understand what they're saying. And thus they were barbarians. Okay. But they did speak this language, the international language of kindness. And they were kind to Paul. They were kind to the others. Remember here tonight that there, these were 276 uh, people that were on board, and all of them were saved at sea and cast upon this island. And so they were in the cold. There was a rain, as the text pointed out. But here, uh, instead of being a savage people that no doubt could have attacked them and taken over or at least given them great difficulty, instead, and I believe by the providential hand of God, they were kind to Paul and kind uh, to the others that were sailing with Paul and and God placed him there, and, and so uh, they built a fire, and they were warming the ones that were there. And so Paul uh, served where God placed him. I, I love what it said. Let's look back at the text. It says in verse number 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Hey, here we have Paul the apostle, who is also Paul the stick gatherer. He was not above a menial task. Yep. This past week, Brother Hightower preached the message about a man named Joash who was the keeper of the cellars of the oil. Oh, yeah, prestigious job. A keeper of what? The cellars of oil. Not the ones who went out and sold oil. oil. We're talking about the basements where the oil was kept in the days of David. And you might look at that, and he did a fantastic job of pointing out how that, you know, he could just imagine his wife waiting for Joash to come home, and as David's coming to power and anticipating, you know, that her husband would have this prestigious position in the uh, in the kingdom, and and uh, what job did you get? Are you are you an assistant to Joab? You know, as he would work and be the general. Are you his assistant? No, not quite that. And went through a list of them. So what what job did you get? I keep the sellers of oil. It doesn't seem like it's very important. But every king was anointed with oil. And every priest was anointed with oil. And many of these sacrifices, the, as they were mingled with oil, every, all the oil had to come from somewhere. So here's a man named Joash who was appointed to keep the oil. 
Hey, I believe it's a good lesson for all of us, and he drew into that how that there was a man up in Oregon and in that area that pastored there and was faithful and preached the gospel. And as Brother Hightower was a young man, he went to, went to camp there, and God used that man that none of us would probably know, but God placed him there. And gave him a significant task, and he preached, and as a result of that, how Hightower heard the gospel, and now Brother Hightower is an evangelist traveling country, and having pastor there in Lebanon, Missouri, and seeing how many countless soldiers saved as a result of that. Hey, here's a man up there in Oregon just being faithful where God placed him. No place is a small place where God places you. And no task is a small task that God gives you to do. And here is Paul, and he's just doing a menial task of gathering sticks. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, I mean, he's just building a fire. That's all it is to it. There's not anything spiritual to draw out of that. But listen, never minimize what God might use to get the attention of others when you just do your job. And so he was gathering these sticks together, and, and so he ca- was casting the... the uh, the sticks there in the fire, and as he did, it says as he cast him in the fire that a viper came out and latched onto his hand. It reminds you of this tonight. The providential care of God does not mean the absence of dangerous vipers. It does not mean the absence of problems. God's providential care in Paul's life did not mean the, the absence of opposition from the Jews. It did not mean, his providence does not mean the absence of stoning or stones, the absence of rods, lashes, shipwrecks, beatings, tumults, false accusations, imprisonments, and ultimately death in Paul's life. All that was in the providential hand of God. In this case, Paul's life was again endangered, this time by a poisonous snake. There were reports in, um, in Greek history of men having survived, uh, you know, a shipwreck. And, and one account told of a man that was, that was literally just lying there on the beach. And a snake came up and bit him. And he died. What a bummer. <laughs> you know, I mean, to have survived a shipwreck, barely make it to the sand and get bit by a snake and die. I have in my notes tonight this note, snakes are bad. (laughs) Snakes are bad. How many of you have a fear of snakes? You just don't like snakes? Okay, good. Look at all the smart people here tonight. That's wonderful. (laughs) How many of you say, I I like snakes? I think, look look at the weird ones. Okay, here they are. (laughs) Yep. Look at all these kids raising hand. Yep. I'm telling you, as close as I want to be to snakes is watching the St. Louis Cardinals play the Diamondbacks. (laughs) That is close for me. Here in Oklahoma, you know, in Atoka, isn't it in Atoka they have a big rattlesnake roundup? Only roundup I think we ought to have is a roundup of dead ones. Like snakes. Heard about Wendy Bagwell. I believe I've mentioned this before, but Wendy Bagwell years ago on the Sunlighters, you know, this uh, gospel singing quartet, went to a snake handling church in Kentucky. Now, I want to go on record saying not all churches in Kentucky. My mom's here tonight, and, and uh, she can verify that. Not all churches in Kentucky handle snakes. I want to be clear about that. But he went to one. He didn't know it was a snake handling church until he got there. They got to singing, you know, up on the platform. And next thing he knew, here comes some individuals out from the back carrying rattlesnakes. He said they had a door there in the front of the church. He wondered if they wanted one in the back. 
He's ready to escape and get out of there. He said they had pictures up on the wall of these individuals. And he asked the pastor later, uh, after they got through that, he said, what about all these pictures on the wall? And he said, well, those are pictures of former members of the church. <laughs> they had faith to take up the serpent, but they lost the faith. And there's their picture on the wall. Now, here's Paul, and he's got a snake on his hand, not in his hand. Paul did not intentionally take up this snake. That is bizarre, whacked out, weird stuff. No way does God want us to show off our spirituality. Now, does God do some amazing things? It did, did the Lord record there in Mark chapter 16 about how that they would, you know, uh, face the poisonous snakes and all these things that would happen and it would not harm them? Absolutely. But this, that, this right here is the only account that we have. And what was God doing? Well, think about what God did even in the days of Moses as he stood before Pharaoh. God worked in a very unique way there in the days of Elijah. And here we have Paul as the apostle. I mean, this was a unique time, and it was authenticating the message. So I sound the alarm tonight. Beware of those in the faith movement who handle snakes or try to cast out demons or other things that are, I believe, more about them as a spiritual leader. You listen to what I'm saying? More about them and trying to become wealthy or well-known or show their great power. Hey, listen, Paul, even when he went in here to the house and he laid hands on the man, it wasn't like what you see laying hands on him. He laid hands. Those individuals are saying, look, I've got the power to do this. No, Paul put his hands upon the man and he prayed, acknowledging, I don't have the ability or the authority or the power to do this. It's got to come from God. So Paul was not on some kind of an ego trip in any way. He was not showing off his faith. But here's what happened. God used that in his life. He providentially cared for Paul, spared his life from dying of a snake bite. I think about our missionaries, Jeremiah Unruh's here tonight. He's one of my heroes. I'm telling you, Jeremiah, I don't know where you are right now, but if I have snakes around the house, I'm calling Jeremiah because I've heard about some that he's killed there in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka per capita has the most deaths by snake bites in the world every year, Guinness Book of World Records as far as that goes, because of the Hindu religion and not wanting to kill snakes. Many people die because of that. But Jeremiah is a snake slayer. Brother Unruh has been as well, but I mean, they're plentiful there. And where we stayed at their home is right, right beside a, a rice field. And they come up from the field there. They've been in the house all around. I think all snakes must die. <laughs> but here's what uh, some say. They cast doubt on this situation with Paul. And, and they say, well, look, this must not be a real account. Because on the island of Malta today, there are no poisonous snakes. You say, well, that proves the Bible wrong. No, not, not, not necessarily. And here's why. Well, not at all. Here's why. Because that was first century there with Paul. Well, I believe what that testifies to this is simply this. The fact that there's no poisonous snakes there does not mean that there were not poisonous snakes in the days of Paul. But it may testify this. Some smart people rounded up all the poisonous snakes and killed them. We settled that one. 
Some try to downplay the scenario again. They say, well, it wasn't really a poisonous snake that latched onto his hand. It was a non-venomous snake. And, and, but I'm telling you, the people of Malta, they believed it was a poisonous snake. And I believe if you looked at his eyes, they would have been slanted eyes, not round eyes. Don't you know that's how you tell the difference between a poisonous snake and a non-poisonous snake? Poisonous snakes have slant. You say, why would I want to get that close? What kind of eyes do you have? You know, I'm not interested in that. But it is true. But it's, it's clear from the text. They believed. They knew. In fact, they watched him. In fact, there are certain vipers, of course, in this world to this day that, you know, you take two steps and you're dead. I mean, they expected he's either going to go swell up immensely or he's just going to drop dead right there. But they watched him. And he went about his business. He carried either more sticks. Did you notice what he did, by the way, with the snake? Flung it in the fire. One less snake on the island of Malta. But here's the main point. God providentially spared his life. He preserved his life. Why? God had some more for him to do. God providentially preserved Paul's life. We benefited from it this morning. You opened up your Bible to the book of Philippians. You know why you were able to open up the book of Philippians? Because God providentially spared Paul's life and took him to Rome so that he might write that, Rome, that letter from Rome that to this day that we might benefit from it. God providentially, here's what I want us to get tonight, and I believe from this text what God wants us to get God providentially preserved Paul's life that he might continue to work through Paul's life. There was more for him to do. As I've mentioned, his journey further to Rome. But not only that, but the situation with Publius and his his father, who had what many would refer to as Malta fever, just an incredibly dangerous fever that would have taken his life, and God used him to spare his life. God providentially preserved Paul's life that he might providentially work through his life. Check your pulse. You're alive. If you just check your pulse and you're not, please let us know. (laughs) You're here. God has preserved your life. I believe you're here tonight because God has something that he wants to do in you and through you. Some of you look back at your life and you can look back and see ways in which God providentially worked in your life and brought you from a very sinful past. You can look back and see some people God used. You can look back and see a godly grandmother maybe. Or godly mom or dad that kept you in church or, or, or a godly friend who invited you. God brought you through your past to this point. God brought you past some, no doubt, some very selfish decisions. Maybe God has brought you through a very hurtful past. Maybe even recently or some things in your life that have been very hurt, hurtful. Again, I remind you that God's providence does not spare you from vipers but can spare you and bring you through that time. And when others looked at your life, they thought surely they'll fall out of church now or surely they'll stop serving God now, but here you are. 
By the grace of God, here you are. By the sovereignty of God, here you are. By the providential hand of God, here you are. Maybe you've come through a stormy past, or maybe even you've come through a very successful past and a, and a past that's been blessed. But listen, you're here tonight not to just lean on and rest in your past performance, but you're here tonight providentially by the hand of God because God has something that he wants to do through your life. You know, uh, you can get to a place where you think, well, God's done with me. Maybe some of the uh, more elderly members of our church would come to that conclusion and say, well, you know, God, God can't do a whole lot through my life. No, wait a minute. He's preserved you. You're here, and there's something that he wants you to do. Somebody else maybe with some type of an affliction or some type of a setback or something in your life that seems prohibitive to God, being, God using you. Wait a minute. Stop and think about it. Are you here tonight? And and that's evidence of God's providential preservation in your life. And it doesn't matter what you've been through and what what it is that seems to inhibit you. Listen, God's got a purpose for your life and wants to use your life. And somebody else might say, yeah, but what I've been through has been so horrendous or so difficult. But listen, God brought you through that. And it may be that you're still going through it. But God is, if he's been providentially caring for your life along the way, then he'll continue to do that into the future as you continue to trust him. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life that he's working out. Take heart. Be encouraged. He's not done. He's still at work. How does God providentially work in our lives? Well, it may even be just a verse from the Bible that you read that just really works in your heart. I'm telling you what, this past Friday night as we had the late night men's prayer meeting, it's, I told Angie, it just seems like every time we had that, God just speaks to us in a very special way. And I just opened up my Bible, and, and I'm not trying to be weird about it, but it just seems like every time we had that and we had that time alone that God just gives me a verse, and this time is out of Psalm 83, that, that men may know that thou alone, whose name is Jehovah, art the most high God in all the earth. And I just began to meditate on that and think about that. And God, God used that Friday night in my own life. I believe that's the providence of God. God providentially has you at the right place at the right time to hear a message by a preacher. God providentially uses somebody to sing a song that just ministers to your heart. Something you read, someone you meet. Can you look back and see how that God's providentially led you together to marry the person that you're married to tonight? Can you look and see how God did that? How God's brought you to where you are now? Can you look and see how that God providentially led and guided you to this church? He's got a purpose for you being here then. Can you see how that God led you to do a certain ministry? Maybe it is the bus ministry, or maybe it is uh, the nursery, whatever it is. But you can look and see, God just put this person in my path and this one and at just the right time. Can, you, can I ask you this? Have you seen times even when God uses times of a delay? Or a detour in your life? Something that you didn't expect? Or even a disappointment? Have you seen times that God uses even lost people to be a help to you? Here, as far as we know, on the island of Malta is a group of people that were kind, but they're lost. We don't have the full record here. Paul was here three months. Do you think he was there three months and he didn't share the gospel? I'd say given the track record of Paul, he shared the gospel with them along the way. 
even though Luke didn't record that aspect of it. Just my thought about it. But God used the kindness of these people. You know, just because people are lost does not mean that they're going to show up on the nightly news doing things that are of great depravity. A person can be very kind and yet be very lost. In fact, I think a caution that we need to have here would be this. Don't allow somebody's kindness to camouflage their need for Christ. You know, I found this here in Oklahoma. The people of Oklahoma generally are a very kind people. Very giving, very hospitable. People who are willing to provide for others and help others in a time of storm. I mean, literally, we've been through that and seen people give blankets and meals and showers and a place to, to get cleaned up or to help people or bottled water and opening their homes to people in need and stopping. I watched a guy, uh, I mean, literally, we were in line to turn onto the interstate and we were about six cars back. And this guy, I mean, he just jumped out of his car, ran up to the person that was homeless, gave him money and ran back before the light turned green. I have no idea who this guy was or what he was doing or why, but I'm just simply saying people that are here in Oklahoma are genuinely and generally very kind. I spoke with someone, and I'm forgetting who it was at the most recent meeting there in uh, Indy that, that was laboring in a part of the country, and he said, you know, Brother Jason, the doors we knock here in this region... Probably uh, 7 out of 10 are being slammed in our face. Well, I, I just told him, I said, you know, in Oklahoma, quite honestly, we really have a very favorable response at the door. It'd be like 0.5 out of 10. Maybe even if it's that high. It's very rare. I've been in here 11 years and knocking doors. And it's very, very rare. I could maybe tell you about... Three instances where it was really awkward or like confrontational. People are very kind. How should we use that? How did Paul use it? He used it as an opportunity for God to be praised. So let's make the most of the kindness of people. Can I encourage you with this thought here tonight? Trust God. When vipers bite. God's at providentially at work in your life. It may even be an unfortunate circumstance that if you'll respond right to it, God can even use it. Can I share a personal illustration here with you? Um, a few Friday nights ago, I was up in Tulsa, Brother Russ Bishop and I drove up there to be a part of the ordination service for Zach Clausen and and so we were up in Sperry. I got a phone call. I guess the service started. I needed to be there at 6 o'clock. And I got a phone call from Angie at about 5.30, I believe it was. And she said, um, I'm at I-40 in Shields. Broke down on the side of the road. I'm up in Sperry. Um, I thought, you know, your, your first start, what do you think? Why now? <laughs> Don't you think that? Lord, here I am serving you. I mean, you go through that whole routine. Here I am serving you. <laughs> why does this happen? You know? And why can't I do anything about it? Not that even if I were here, I mean, I could at least go and pick her up. That's about the extent of it. And we probably wouldn't fix, you know, what was wrong with it and such. So, in any case, 
made a few phone calls. Uh, my brother-in-law was able to go and pick them up, Brother Ben Logue, and, and um, so that all worked out. I mean, God has a way of working all these things out, but the reason I'm sharing the story with you tonight is I, just, I really believe we saw God work providentially. I prayed there. Brother Russ uh, was with me, and, and um, I just prayed, and I asked God, God, would you show me which record service to call? And I saw Arrow. It was just one on the top of the list, and it was at uh, Villa and I-40, and I thought Villa to Shields, they'll at least get there quick. And so I, I did. I prayed and asked God to help that way, and so it wasn't very long, but, but a gentleman showed up. And so, you know, in the process of, uh, of things getting situated, Angie invited uh, this young man named Scott to come to church. And Scott said, you know, I've been here now, I believe it was two months. And he said, I've been looking for a church. He said, I'll be there on Sunday. And he said, I have most Wednesdays off, and I'd like to come on Wednesdays if you have Wednesday services. Well, you know, can I be honest with you? I think... All of us here who have invited somebody, you have people that say, I'll be there Sunday. And sometimes they are, and most times they're not. Is that right? Well, he was here two Sundays ago. In, I mean, in time for Sunday school and church and enjoyed it. And said, well, Scott, we're, we'd love to see you come again. He said, I'll be here. Well, he didn't show up on Wednesday, and he didn't show up on on this next, not today, but last Sunday, and I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe that's the end of it, you know. But I, actually, we were out to eat north on, on the north side of town just on Thursday and just happened to see him again, picking up somebody else's car, helping them out. I called him Saturday and, and uh, said, hey, Scott, I was just wanting to follow up on him visiting here and Sorry I hadn't got with you, you know, and been out of town and everything. And, um, but I just, again, want to thank you for coming. He said, hey, listen, I'm going to be there tomorrow. He said, you haven't lost a member here. You haven't lost somebody to come. We want to be here, you know. And, and so, sure enough, Sunday school and church this morning. Isn't that a blessing? I don't know what God's doing in his life. I, I don't know if this is where he's to be. I, I don't know all those things, but I do know this. We serve a God who is sovereign we serve a God who works providentially in people's lives. We serve a God who can even use some un unfortunate circumstances that, you know, you wouldn't choose. But he can use those circumstances in his way and by his means to intersect your life with somebody else's life that needs a church. That needs a Savior. Praise his name. God is providentially at work in your life. Every day? Is he sovereign every day? He's at work in your life every day. But I don't see how he's at work in my life every day. Well, all it would take is just for his sovereignty to be removed and your life would fall apart. And you'd see in a hurry that he was all along the way. You ever look back and... You couldn't see it at the time, but now that you look back and see, I see how God did that. God worked that out. God did that. He even allowed me to make wrong decisions. He didn't, for, he didn't choose for me. That's wrong. God's not the author of evil. But he's so sovereign that he even allows me to have a free choice. 
and can even take my wrong decisions and take our messes and make masterpieces out of them because he's a sovereign God and he works providentially and he works providentially for his purposes. How's he working in your life? I trust and I know that he is. Ultimately, I know it's always this. All things work together for good. What's the good though? What's the good? Well, the good is that you might be conformed to the image of his dear son. He's always at work doing something in your life that would mold you and shape you into the image of his dear son that he might get the glory for. I just want you to be encouraged tonight. And maybe I ought to encourage you to do this. Stop and look and see how God is at work. And I think if you'll pause and look at it, you'll see, yes, he is. You say, well, I don't have a job yet. He's still sovereign. Or my health or this situation. I mean, we could go down that road. I've got this viper hanging on my hand. <laughs> Boy, it is slung it off. Yeah, sure. But God's still sovereign. He's still at work. You can trust him. Father, we thank you tonight that you providentially worked in Paul's life. That you might work providentially through his life. Thank you for your providential care. And we know that ultimately it is for the glory of your son and the gospel work. Lord, I don't understand everything about your sovereignty. It's way beyond my comprehension. But I know that you are at work, and I just pray that you'd help us. You've given us what you want us to understand in your word. Apart from the Spirit of God, that's beyond our comprehension. But what we do know, help us to do. To live right. To trust you. To do what and let you take care of the where. We're supposed to do it. Thank you for the ways in which you've worked providentially today to bring people to your house. And since you brought them here, God, we believe that you've placed us here to care for them. Help us to do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.